Welcome to Write Your Book in a Flash with Dan Janelle, the only podcast where you'll learn how successful people just like you have grown their businesses, expanded their influence, and made more money by writing a book. On each episode, you'll learn the inside secrets to help you create a book that can serve as a powerful marketing tool to skyrocket your business. I'm your host, Dan Janelle. I help thought leaders, business executives, and entrepreneurs write their books. To find out more, go to writeyourbookinaflash.com. Welcome, everyone. I'm delighted to welcome our guest today, Milo Shapiro. How are you? I'm doing great, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Fantastic. Milo, why don't you tell everyone about yourself? Okay. Um, My main areas that people know me of is I am a public speaking coach. I've been doing that since 2004. And so I help people who have any kind of presentation they want to give, whether it's a manager talking to their staff, a salesperson, having to present to clients, an actual professional speaker. I work with those. Anyone who has a reason to get up in front of a group and want to feel more prepared, polished, and powerful. Those are the three words I like to use to describe how people should feel about themselves and their material. When someone's speaking, we want to be memorable. We want our material to be memorable. And it's very easy to miss the mark on that. So I help people to get there. Uh, that's one aspect of my business. I'm also a team builder and do motivational speaking myself using improv games. My background in improv, which I can get to if we have time, is has led to me to be doing motivational speeches where I get the whole audience playing these games along with me in pairs out in the audience. And I get to share some of the things we learn about ourselves and how we interact with people through improv games. So it's a lot of fun. It wakes up a conference. Fantastic. Sounds fascinating. So tell me, why did you decide to write a book? And I know you've written several books, but So tell me the business reason for why you decided to write some of your books. It's funny you should say the business reason because the business reason wasn't what started it. That was the uh, the wake-up call that someone gave me at one point that maybe you should think more in terms of a a business one. Uh, I started doing the speaking back in 2002. And I kept seeing that people had books and just to be able to say that you were the author of this book. And there was a lot of stories in my original keynote uh, the, the one that has led to the current keynote that I give mostly, we got to fail to succeed. But you can only tell so many stories in the hour that you're given, or even 90 minutes if you're lucky to get that once in a while. I still had a whole lot more stories, and I was subbing them in and out of different places, but there were some that just didn't fit in there. So I thought, you know, I should start writing these stories so that I have them to draw from. And then there were so many that I said, this could be a book. And I kept writing a story and writing a story. And every story I chose was one where there was a life lesson. These were not just entertainment stories, although hopefully people find them entertaining. There's some laughs in them for sure. But the point was that we can learn things from a story. So I would write the story, and at the end I would talk, reflecting back on about the lesson that I learned and that hopefully the reader learns. And I was just compiling all these stories, thinking I needed to have more. And one day I was talking to my friend Greg Godek, who works a lot in publishing. I'm seeing you nodding. You know Greg and his wife Karen Buxman probably, who's also a speaker. And uh, I told him about this idea because he kept saying, you got to have a book. You got to have a book. And I said, well, I'm working on this thing. He said, how long is it? I said, I think it's at about 175 pages now. He's like, Milo, you need to stop writing and publish. (laughs) I didn't realize. I thought I didn't have enough, but apparently I totally had enough. Uh, As you teach, a book only has to be so long and uh, otherwise people just don't want to pick it up because it feels like a chore and all the chapters are only about four to six pages so I don't think any of it feels like a chore but from the side you can't tell it's short chapters so Greg got me to publish the book and 
we, we struggled with the title. I heard you give a presentation where you talked about titles and the importance of them. Uh, and the original title was long and clunky, and I knew it was. And I was talking to a friend one time, brainstorming. And he said, well, tell me the essence of the book. I said, well, you know, it's about how we have all these stories, and sometimes the best days, the worst days make the best stories, and da-da-da-da-da. And he just stopped. He goes, that was your title. I said, well, he goes, back about 30 seconds ago, the worst days make the best stories. That's your title. And I was like, oh, that's better than anything I've come up with. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, so I published that one. It's 29 stories, like I said, with interesting, fun, uh, some of them touching, but all with a life lesson. And I just did it, like Greg was saying, because you got to have a book. But as my, my coaching career took off, there seemed to be an implication that if you want people to take you seriously as a public speaking coach, you ought to have a book on that. And, and I realized that that was right. That made total sense. And that was going to take me a lot more time because stories I already knew. I just had to put them down. But I had to really figure out how to put together a book on public speaking. And I looked at the other books on the market and I looked at a whole bunch and I kept trying to read them and finding them really boring. I mean, this is a topic I found interesting enough to make a big part of my career, helping other people do it. I wasn't finding the books interesting. So I wanted to make sure when I did it, it was lively, fun, light, but still packed with information. And how I organized the book is a whole other question. I don't know if you want to get into that or not. But I did eventually – I thought you might. Uh, eventually did write the book. Um, so since you're nodding, uh, they can't see that, but I can. <laughs> what I did was I thought, how could I do this in a fun way? I said, what if I did it with top ten lists? And then I made even the titles kind of fun, like the top ten ways to totally blow it with your handouts, the top ten ways to alienate your audience upon reaching the stage, and just made these top ten list chapters kind of interesting. Now, top ten list, well, that's not so much to digest. I can read one top ten list per night, and the chapters start flowing. That, as a reader, that would be. So what I did was I came up with what are all of these categories for the headings of my chapters. It actually came from a presentation I was asked to give, and I came up with the lists for her. And then I looked at it and said, this feels like the thoughts of the book. So then I said, now that I've got my titles, what are the 10 points that I would say about each of these? So one by one, I went through each chapter title and said, just no, no text, just like a sentence. What are the 10 things I would want someone to know? And once I had 20 chapters of 10 sentences each, all I had to do was every day on my lunch hour for half an hour to 45 minutes say, I'm going to bang out more details about one or two of those points under that chapter heading. Sometimes I got through four. Sometimes I got through one. But the book kind of helped write itself because of this simple structure of I know all the chapter titles and I know the 10 points I'm going to cover in each one. There wasn't any what do I say next because that was already taken care of. And uh, it was really fun to write the book that way. You know, it's funny. I always tell my clients to do very, very much similar thing to write an outline. And I had one client who just really couldn't get an outline, but she loved doing PowerPoints. So she basically wrote 10 slides of PowerPoints. Then she went back to each slide and wrote five little points on each point there. It was an outline, but it was her modality. <laughs> so what a great way to play into her comfort zone so that you could show her that's just a different way into being organized. That's terrific. Exactly. I've had other clients who like to use note cards back from like fifth grade or seventh grade and then colored note cards to, to denote uh, 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 stories or statistics or whatever. And she could look at the chart. She actually had a little, well, one, one client had post-it notes 
The other one had index cards. So one who had post-it notes could put it up on her wall and she could see where she was missing stories or needed to have more statistics or whatever be based on the color coding. So uh, it's, it's funny how one thing can lead to another and just tap different modalities in your brain to help you create things. Speaking of creating things, you're an improv teacher. So I'm wondering if you had any improv techniques that you used on yourself or with your clients or take tips that you could share with uh, our listeners on how they could use improv to be more creative and think of ways to write their books. Ah, tying it to books. I thought you meant in terms of public speaking. Um, well, that's a good question. How do I tie the improv back to it? I think part of it was be in the being playful and to just coming up with these clever ways to do it. So much of the book that I get people's feedback on is that the humor in it actually made such a difference. And I think that comes to some degree from the improv training that I have, looking for the fun in everything, how to be sillier, how to be lighter, um, how to find the, the story, how to brainstorm to come up with a different story if this one isn't really hitting the point that I want. So it's hard to take 30 years of improv and, and say how I did that for the book. Uh, but I do think that 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 ability to build one idea on top of another really makes a difference. In terms of public speaking coaching, I think improv has helped me tremendously because you never know when you're going to have to customize something at the last minute. Something happens in the room and you can make a, a comment about that or you find out something that day that you can find a way in. Just being able to say, I don't have to do everything the way that I'm used to doing it. There's another option here on the spur of the moment. In fact, I've gotten some very odd gigs from people just going, this guy is adaptable. Let's just see if he can do this. I got a call from an event planner one time who said, I got a call from a client who wants someone to lead 150 people in Simon Says. I don't have anybody who can do that. But I thought to myself, you know, if anyone I know could do that, I bet Milo could. Have you ever done this before? I said, no, but when's the event? She said, it's three months from today. I said, I will be able to lead 150 people in Simon Says by then. And so what did the improv guy do? He said, I'm going to contact groups of kids and try to play with them, figure out what works. Then I'm going to take it to a group of friends and say, would you meet me? Can I teach? Can I try, uh, can I try Simon Says on you? And now I've had some amazing gigs. My, my, uh, my, my record is 800 people down to a winner in 15 minutes. I hope <laughs> I never have to do it that fast again, but, but we got there. And, and I think without my improv background, I simply would have said, no, that's not something I do. But I thought, well, how could I do it? So I think that that makes a difference. Very cool story. That's so great. Uh, so did you self-publish or go with a traditional publisher? I did self-publish uh, because of the fact that most of my book sales, I figured, would be back of the room as a speaker. I was really more interested in how quickly can I be an author with a book than I was in, can I find a company that finds this book interesting enough, deal with the implications of getting it out to the stores, having to have my own marketing campaign to make them interested in me, and then in the end, making less per book. Mm -hmm. So it just made so much more sense for me to do it. Now, I did it long, ago, long enough ago that it was torture. Uh, and I'm, I'm, <laughs> I've learned a lot since then. Part of it was the learning curve, but also partly self-publishing has just gotten so much easier since uh, the first book was coming out. So, so lesson learned there. In fact, I designed my own cover. I have a side business completely unrelated. I know it sounds like I have my fingers in a million ponds and that's kind of me. Uh, but I do have a side business called freshenyourphoto.com. I'm a photo editor. And I thought if I can save an old photo or change grandma's smile from a frown and those kind of things, I bet I could design my own covers. So I didn't go the look at all the templates route that so many people should do. 
do. That's the right choice for probably most people. But I wanted something really specific. I wanted a wraparound cover that the cartoon on the front would continue on to the back. And so I had a cartoonist draw the cartoon. That I was not going to try. Uh, I can't draw for anything. But then I started working with the where to put the words and how to do it all. And I'm, I really love the cover of The Worst Days Make the Best Stories. Uh, it, it was my second one. I had one I liked more, but uh, I was told that one of them was potentially insensitive to a group out there. I didn't think it was. Sometimes we have to learn our lessons the hard way. So I started from scratch with a second cartoon. And this one seems to have gone over well. It's just uh, me going over a waterfall in a boat and all the things that are happening to me. And my little character that's supposed to look like me is thinking the idea, wow, this will make a great story someday. You know, he's about to go off a cliff, but hey, what a great story. So uh, so that was that one. Uh, I've gone through a few different covers with the public speaking book. Initially, I had a cartoon. That's what's right out there now. But by the time people hear this, uh, hopefully my new co cover will be out there. I do a before and after picture. I have a group of people just all falling asleep on each other, on tables as the before, and then leaning in, really listening. And it was fun doing those photo shoots and then getting people to be playful and how many different ways can they look like they were falling asleep during the speaker. Uh, that, that picture becomes relevant when people learn the name of your book. So please share. Oh, that. yes, that's true. <laughs> I didn't say it. that book is called Public Speaking. Get A's, not Z's. Right. That is important to know to know why they're falling asleep, which was not the original title. Also, that's a really great lesson I learned is to bounce things off of people. One of the first people who was willing to read the whole book, which is originally called Public Speaking Without Passing Out, said, I learned so much more from this book than I thought I was going to because I think it's the wrong title. I said, oh, I thought it was a pretty clever title. He said, it is a clever title if your book is all about getting over the fear of public speaking. I'm not afraid of it. I just realized now I'm not as good at it as I should be. So I would never have read a book called Public Speaking Without Passing Out because I wasn't scared. But I do want to hold people's attention. I do want to – and so we brainstormed some more. And that's when the get A's, not Z's came up. Very clever. And that's why you need a good developmental editor to see what you don't see and to give it another point of view, which is something that I do with my clients. Um, sure. Now, you took this book, but you also told me beforehand that you're expanding your audience. So tell us about that and how that impacted your title. Oh, I'm glad you asked about that. Um, so nothing works better for selling new books than a series. You know, chicken soup for the fill in the blank will go on for the rest of our lives, probably, because people understand what they're getting and it makes sense. And then it's easier for marketing and branding. So I gave a speech to an audience of people who work with teenagers and it was one of the best book sale days I ever had. I mean, it was a great line. I wish every speech worked that well as far as having that kind of line. But maybe every fifth person said to me, is this book appropriate for teenagers? And I didn't know how to answer the question. I kind of kept saying, it's not inappropriate. There's nothing R-rated in it. But the examples in it are very business and office related. It would take a little more of an exceptional teenager to relate to them, even though they might understand them. But there's no reason they couldn't read it. And so I kept kind of saying that over and over again. And on the drive back from, I think it was Long Beach, on the drive back from Long Beach to San Diego, it suddenly hit me, duh, these people are telling you you need that book. And so I went through my book and took out every example that was business-oriented and went made up stories that were school-oriented, college application-oriented, community service-oriented, uh, anything I could think of that a teen might find a reason to be speaking or see themselves in the future speaking like that and created public speaking for teens, 
get A's, not Z's. And I had teenagers proofread it, which was so valuable because I'm apparently really a crusty old man at this point and just did not know that they would not get certain references. It was, I was like, what? How could you not remember? Well, would I blame them for not remembering? No, I have to change the references. So that was very valuable, uh, as well as working with a professional editor to try and catch other things that I probably should have caught on the first book to try and make that book what it needed to be. And then the next book in the series that's coming, that's in the work. Well, first, actually, I'm doing a new release, a second edition of Public Speaking at A's Not Z's. That's really close with the new cover. But the one I'm already working on to follow that is Public Speaking in Healthcare because it's different. So making the examples all healthcare oriented, and I've had enough healthcare clients that I feel like I'm in a good position to do that, to create those examples. Does that mean I'm not going to have one of them read it first? No, one of them is going to read it first to make sure I didn't, you know, use some wrong terminology or something that potentially would get someone in trouble if they did what I said in the story. So there'll be some proofreading, but I'm hoping public speaking in healthcare will lead to public speaking in I don't know what next. It may come from where the requests are. Which leads me to the next question of which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Do you decide to go into healthcare because you have a lot of interest from healthcare professionals or because you realize that that's a good market for you to go into or something else? It's kind of a combination of both. I would say I don't have a niche. I have dealt with just engineers and school teachers and uh, religious leaders. I've coached ministers. So there isn't any niche for who I should be coaching. But just coincidentally, if I had to say where have more than any other fallen, it's been the healthcare. Uh, and having worked with a CEO at Sharp Healthcare, I also thought, I bet John would be willing to write a, a nice forward for me, which he was. So that was a, a good lead in to be able to do that. And it's got such branches to it. Healthcare can mean, yes, it can mean doctors and nurses, but it can also mean chiropractors. It can mean insurance. It can mean anything where someone is in that world related to healthcare. So it was a nice big branch to be able to cover it all at once. Very good point. As we wrap up, uh, do you have any final words of advice for our listeners on how they can write their books? On how they can, I couldn't hear you. How they can what? On how they can write their books. Oh, um, I, re- I think I covered it in a couple of places here in terms of the outline and stuff, but I think there's a feeling that if you don't take off three weeks and do nothing but write your book, that you're just not a dedicated author. And it depends on how fast you need to get your book out. For me, the every lunch hour is going to be about writing. Made it something I looked forward to. And if I had to leave kind of in the middle of a thought because I had to get back to other things, it made me excited to finish that thought the next day. So that really worked nicely for me to just know that it was a little bit at a time. And before I knew it, it was done. Um, and, and yes, the last thing I would probably say is have as many people proofread as you can, including a professional, sure. But but get a couple of other people to before you even take it to the professional because you'd just be amazed how many times people can miss something and then the fifth person finds it. It's, it's a bit shocking. I've been there and uh, I will always have a typo. It will always be in the first sentence and it will usually be the very first word. So. <laughs> and thank goodness with self-publishing, we can actually sometimes update that after the few copies have been printed too. Exactly. Milo, why don't you tell us who your ideal client is and how they can get in touch with you? I love working with middle managers, especially in small companies. That's a great one. The reason I say small companies is is not because I wouldn't love to work with middle managers in huge companies. It's harder sometimes for them to get the approval. That said, if they can get the approval or if it's out of pocket for them, that's a great place. These are people who are dedicated to their own development. I love working with salespeople because of the fact that it's on the line. 
that difference between just being a little more effective and not can be a big difference in a check. So those are a couple of the groups that I like working with the most. But really, anyone who just feels like either they have that big speech coming up they want to master, or I regularly speak uh, using one or two different presentations, and I just want to be better at them. I even got one guy who called me up. He said, I never gave the same presentation twice. Every Friday, I give a different one. I don't need to master any speech. I just need to be better at speaking. Hmm. So we work the coaching toward their goals. I don't have a one-size-fit-all program like so many other people do. We figure out what you need, and then we help you get there. Fantastic. And what is your website address? MiloShapiro.com. Should be easy. And that's, there's no C in Shapiro. People try and stick a C in there. M-I-L-O-S-H-A-P-I-R-O.com. Fantastic. Thanks for being with us today, Milo. It was great. Thanks for listening to Write Your Book in a Flash with Dan Janelle, the only podcast that shows you exactly how people just like you have built their businesses by writing a book. If you'd like to write your book but don't know where to start, you can find great information at writeyourbookinaflash.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with another insightful interview to help you become a top business leader.